0: Well, good morning. It's a privilege to uh, be with you again, to break the Word of God together. And um, I'm kind of counting on this morning the fact that I can go pretty quickly that you'll be familiar with this because we have a lot of territory to cover. Um, But just by way of housekeeping, um, there is in your bulletin an insert... Uh, with uh, notes for the sermon this morning, please feel free to use that. I'm not offended if you're not looking up at me because you're tribbling notes in your thing, okay? That's a good thing. It's not bad. So feel free to do that. Um, Also, as I said, uh, we'll be covering uh, um, uh, several passages, one primary passage, a few other things I'll refer to um, that I think many of you are going to be familiar with. Um, but I want us to see these things. Uh, I want us to look at them, and I want us to see them and understand these truths from God's perspective. As as we uh, grow as Christians, <clears throat> as we grow in coming to Christ, initially we come to more and more see things from God's perspective, and it opens up a world for us. It just changes things radically. And so that's what I hope to uh, help you to do in in this particular, uh, at least, uh, theme that we're on this morning um, that will help to transform uh, our lives as we do this. And, of course, a lot of this uh, is very personal to me. Um, uh, Over the last year, you know, uh, well, not all of you, but many of you know, uh, we had uh, one of the students from last summer uh, from the... uh, that came out some of the Nations for Christ events, and <clears throat> that's a great opportunity to do what I'm going to be talking to you about this morning, but there are many others too. Um, and she has been, she was with us until uh, last month, the end of last month, and she just left, but she is still here in the States. We've kind of adopted her as our sixth child, so now we have six kids instead of five. Um, but we can't legally adopt her because she's not a citizen of the United States, but As much as you can do, we've done. Um, And a lot of the things I've learned as we've gone through that process uh, are going to kind of be coming out this morning. Um, And God has helped me to see these things. Um, She's not a Christian. She doesn't even know if she really believes in God. But God is doing little things here and there. You have to know to look for them. And you begin to see the transformation that he is at work and that she is one of his children. So, um, if you'll join me in prayer, and then we'll look at our passage here. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you that you are sovereign over all things, as we have uh, read this morning, and especially that you are sovereign over our salvation. How thankful we are for that, that it's not up to us in any way, but that you bring salvation to us. You transform our lives and you insert the new life into us that allows us, that enables us to seek and follow after you. And so we would just rejoice in that. We pray that you would now help us to understand your word as you have given it to us and to be able to apply that in our own lives so that we might bring honor and glory to you. We pray in Christ's name who's made it all possible. Amen. So if you'll turn with me to Luke 15, if you have your Bible. Um, If not, that's okay. You can just listen along. This will be our primary text today, but we'll be looking at a few other things too. Luke 15 is a very familiar passage to many of you, the passage of the prodigal son, okay, quote unquote. But it's a little bit actually more than that, and we're going to be looking at it from a little bit different perspective this morning. See, here's what Luke records for us. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, if you've read much of the Gospels, you know this is a recurring theme, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders are always complaining about Jesus. He goes and eats with sinners. He hangs out with prostitutes, whatever it is, okay? So in this instance, Jesus, it says, he told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, this is all part of the same parable. All right, remember, in the beginning, the the author Luke, all right, who's writing this inspired by God, says he told them this parable, not these parables, this parable. It's one parable. But now we get to the part you probably really know it gets preached on all the time, right? The prodigal son. And he said, uh, as he continued on, Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, "Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound." But he, the the older son, became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But the son answered and said to his father, "Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes," you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. So, of course, the... um, The illustration behind this passage, which most of you know already from probably having heard it many times before, is that, okay, you have the prodigal son, the sinner, who goes <clears throat> and comes back again. He's, re- he's, he's the um, tax collectors and the sinners. And the older son, who doesn't want to come in, who's not rejoicing at that one changing, is like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. <clears throat> And the outcome is that, hey, if you will just be left out in the cold and won't be part of the celebration if you don't want to come in, all right? That's the base of it there. But this is an actual story that Jesus is telling, and we want to look at this. Um, the first thing that we see in this parable is Jesus describing the seeking, right? Something is lost, and people are seeking it. So the examples from our text, a sheep is lost, the shepherd goes after it. It says that he leaves the rest of his sheep, not in the corral, not even like when, you sit, when we say pasture, you think of the nice field behind your farmstead. The, the word is actually the wilderness. He leaves the 99 in the wilderness to go find the one. Why? Well, he probably doesn't own those sheep. He's probably tending them for somebody else. If he has to go back into town and say, I only have 99 sheep out of your 100, he's in big trouble. <clears throat> Even if he own if he does own them <clears throat> and he loses one, he's losing part of what he has, all right, so he goes and he seeks after it and he seeks diligently until he finds it. Maybe it's an hour, maybe it's overnight into the next day, and he has to trust that the rest of those sheep will stay together while he finds this one and brings it back. The next one, the lady loses a coin, and she has to find that. She has 10 coins. She now only has nine. She needs that coin. So she sweeps her house and searches diligently until she finds it. <clears throat> and in the final example, there is the son <clears throat> who leaves, who goes apart and is apparently lost. You know, the father says in the end, this son of mine who is dead has come back to life. <clears throat> and so, These are the examples that Jesus gives us of things that are lost and have to be found. Um, And especially in the context, because what we want to look at is the people, right? That's what really matters. I mean, you're going to lose your cell phone. And you're going to spend a bunch of time trying to find it because you really need that. Okay. But that's nowhere near as valuable as people. Okay. So that's what we want to focus on. You know, just like in Jesus' day, there were the tax collectors and the sinners. Sinners were people who were non-practicing Jews. They didn't go to temple. They didn't do all the things the Pharisees and Sadducees told them to do. They were sinners. Not that the Pharisees were perfect, although some of them might have thought that. They were sinners too. But these were the people that just didn't really make much effort. Well, we have folks... All around us, right? Who are the tax collectors and the sinners of our day? I mean, we have so many people that are lost. Just look at the news. Thank you. All around, we have people who don't know what they are. I don't know if I'm a boy or a girl, a man or a woman. God makes it very plain in Scripture what you are, right? In Genesis, he created them male and female. He tells us all about it. People don't even know that. <clears throat> People don't know if they should marry a guy because they're a girl or <clears throat> another girl. People are lost. They don't know what to think. <clears throat> People are lost in your family. You may have relatives. You may have sons or daughters that are not following after Christ. They've heard a lot of things, just like the son who was raised in that household, but they've gone apart. You may have coworkers or friends. They don't know God either. They're out there struggling, just like the son after he went away. They are all around us. They may be one of those students coming in this month or next month, from a country where they've never even heard about Jesus. And they need to know about him. There are people that need seeking all around us. So how are we supposed to do that? Well, first of all, use the means at our disposal. In other words, just be yourself and use your means. You don't have to be rich, all right? You don't have to take them to Dollywood to entertain them. You don't have to take them to an expensive restaurant. If you have money and you want to take them to an the expensive restaurant, fine. But if you only take them to the restaurant and you don't get to know them and tell them anything about Jesus, then it really didn't do much good, did it? <clears throat> what are your gifts? What are you good at? Just use those. You don't have to be, you know, Elon Musk, able to solve great problems. Maybe you're just a very friendly person and you can befriend them and be a friend when they really need one. Or maybe you're quiet and shy and retired, but you really like certain things, a hobby or things you have. And you can find other people that share that and you can begin to minister to them in their life or maybe because they're your relative or a good friend, they will sit and have coffee with you and talk about some things. Whatever resources God has given to you, bring those to the table to seek those people, to go out and begin to interact and minister to them. Don't think you have to go to school for another degree. You have to go to seminary or anything else. That's the whole point. Jesus is, as he does this, he's leading his disciples and training them day by day. Men who are fishermen and who don't know any of this until he trains them. And then let's align ourselves with God's purposes. So let's pursue them with a concern for their best before God and an unconditional love for their soul. So let me say that again. Let's pursue them with a concern for their best before God. So as you're interacting with them, you want the best for them before God. All right, what God has taught you and teaches in the Scriptures You want the best for them, according to that. And then love them unconditionally, love their soul. You might not be able to appreciate it very much in the beginning. They may seem so different from you that it just is almost morally repugnant. Like, how can I even sit down to coffee with this person? They are so much more different than me, so much different from what I am. But in fact, they're a human and they're a soul before God. And they may be a person that God is at work in. And in that regard, as part of the next part, the finding and saving, we're going to be, you want to be looking for people that God is at work, people that God draws you to, because he is at work. And we always want to be following where he leads. <clears throat> so the second point, finding. The finding or the saving, okay? Okay. You know, we find things so that they can be used for their intended purpose. The shepherd found the lamb, the sheep, so that it could be used for its intended purpose. So they could shear it and get the thing and so that they could eat it one day. <clears throat> the woman found the coin so that she now had it. Now she had 10. She could give her tithe and still have the others, right? <clears throat> and the son <clears throat> was found. But with people, it's different. It's different. Saving people, finding people, is not just finding them, it's saving them for the glory of God and the fulfillment of his will. So let's recognize first that it is God who does the supernatural work of transforming a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. We had some great readings there um, for you uh, this morning as we led into this uh, from Ephesians chapter 2. Let me just read a little bit from Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Get a drink here. See, If we know that, it makes our job so much easier. If you know that God is going before you, that he already has his people from before this world was created, that he has ordained to be his people, you have success. There'll be lots of people you talk to that don't get saved, that you don't know about. It's okay. God is in control of all that. It's not up to you. You're just called to be yourself and be there and minister with the gifts God has given you. <clears throat> in our story, the prodigal comes back to his father. And in Jesus' story, this is a real person, real father, And just like the real father, the real father is emblematic of God. The real son is emblematic of, you know, the sinners or the Pharisees, etc. He comes back to his father through the word of God and through the spirit. So he's there in that land. And it says he, he comes to his senses, but he doesn't just come to his senses like, you know, he doesn't work up a scheme. We know that this is God at work. Because someone who's scheming would say, you know what, I'd be still a lot better off at my house. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask him, I'm going to ask my father to take me back and just, you know, make me a son again. But he doesn't say that. (laughs) He specifically says, (laughs) I'm going to say to him, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. He recognizes that he sinned against God. And against his father and he's no longer worthy to be called your son make me a slave he, he's not going back like a lot of people nowadays would just say like they can just go back and everything's going to be okay whatever no he's admitting he's in the wrong and he's sinned before god and he knows that you know why because if he grew up in a jewish household and he learned the old testament he knew the commandment honor your father and mother right And he had just dishonored his father in one of the greatest ways you could. Dad, I'm just sick of all this. To me, you're as good as dead. Give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait for you to die. So he knows he has violated that. On top of that, you know what? It said in the Old Testament that children who are rebellious, they should be taken out and stoned to be an example. So, you know, he may not know coming back, if he's going to be alive or dead eventually. I mean, if his dad was really mad at him, he could easily bring him up in charges in that village and everybody would probably side with the dad because that was a horrendous thing to do and then he'd be stoned. So this is not just somebody feeling sorry for themselves and changing. No, they are convicted by God and they are changed and they are willing to go and admit before God and before their father, their sinfulness and their waywardness from what they've been called to do. <clears throat> in Luke chapter 19, just a few chapters after this, you know, if you want to turn there, you can. You don't have to. Just a brief story here, starting in verse 1. Another familiar story. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through, and there's a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him Zacchaeus hurry and come down for today I must stay at your house and he hurried and came down and received him gladly when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Boy, that's a constant refrain. <clears throat> Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus calls this man to salvation. This man is lost. This man wants to see Jesus. I don't know how much he knows about him. He wants to see Jesus coming through town. He climbs up in a sycamore tree. Jesus calls him by name, says, come down. We're going to your house today. Did he expect that? No. A little while later, might have been 10 minutes, might have been... Five hours? I don't know. He's saying to Jesus, you know what? I'm going to give back everything. I'm going to change. Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. This person is saved. Not like, you know, they understand or believe in Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. Why? Because of Jesus. That's what he does. He just goes and transforms people. Did that guy recite the Apostles' Creed? Was he quizzed by the session? Were they sure of his standing? No. Jesus just reached down and saved him because he was one of his own. That's what he does. That's his business. Sometimes it's really quick like that. Sometimes it takes longer. A lot of times the people we're dealing with take longer. So we have to have patience and not you know, become disheartened because it's not happening quickly the way we see an example with Jesus happened. <clears throat> Secondly, take in the wonder in their journey as you observe the work of the Spirit. This is all about that. I put this point and it's all about that, like that story we just said. Isn't it amazing? It's supernatural how Zacchaeus gets saved. How this prodigal son gets saved. That's supernatural. That's amazing. And as you minister to people, if, you are just stop, if you're just looking for the supernatural, you will see with wonder and amazement God at work in the little things here and there. Sometimes you may have the opportunity to talk to somebody and lead them to Christ in a half hour. But usually that won't be the case. It may be a year or a decade or a lifetime. But God, who is at work, is the one who does the work. And you will see supernaturally along the way how God is at work. Let's look at the prodigal and see what happened with him. First of all, he rebelled against his father. He was lawless. He didn't care about what the scriptures that he had said at that point. He dishonors his father. He goes to a foreign country. Well, that's sovereign that he goes to this foreign country. And he engages in these things. <clears throat> and when the time comes, because in this foreign country, nobody cares about him. They're happy to take all his money. And six months later or three years later, I don't know how long, he's lost all of his money and has no hope. <laughs> and he's now in a foreign country. And God, very graciously, nobody there wants to have anything to do with him. He goes to a farm and he ends up feeding food to the pigs. A Jewish guy feeding pigs, right? I mean, God has a sense of humor too. But God is working to help him, to bring him to the point of, wow, I have really screwed up. You know, he can't even eat the food he's giving to the pigs because they're the the pods of the carob plant. And people can't really digest them. I mean, you can try eating them. You'll probably just throw up. So he's feeding these pigs food. He can't even eat it. It's not good grain. And he's getting nothing. Nobody is showing him any compassion. In all of these things, God is working to bring him back, to bring him to that point and to lead him home to his father, emblematic of his heavenly father. Let's look at another story just quickly. I love biblical examples. So turn to John chapter 8. <clears throat> John chapter 8, the very beginning for there, the first 11 verses. Jesus is there in Jerusalem, and he retires to the Mount of Olives, we're told. And then he comes back again the next day as he's been doing. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone. And the woman, where she was, in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, leave your life of sin. So that's the, uh, that's the story here. Now, a couple things. First of all, you can go on YouTube or lots of places, and there'll be incredible debate about what Jesus is writing. Those people who are debating that are missing the whole point. It doesn't matter. If John thought it was important for us to know what he's writing when he stoops down on the ground, he would have told us. So don't even concern yourself with that, okay? Secondly, uh, this is just a, a practical aside, but doesn't it seem oftentimes like women really get the short stick? All right. I mean, they dragged the woman out in front of him for committing adultery. What about the guy? Aren't there two to tango, right? (laughs) It's not the guy. It's almost never the guy. Guys, historically, believe me, guys have gotten away with a lot. And women were persecuted. That is just the way it has been, okay? We have to be honest. And in this case, it's no different. The leaders who are the guys are trying to make an example of Jesus, Get him to say this. And so they pick on a girl. And you may feel that way at times too. Sorry, this is a really hard passage for me to get through. But if you're a woman, know that a lot of those things that you go through that are harder than what the men look around you may be going through, That is actually God's mercy. You may not like it. You may think it's unfair. It's not unfair if it's his mercy to bring you to him and to make you more like him. That's what this story is about. Most people miss that. Most people would look at this and say, wow, Jesus is the ultimate lawyer. Like, I want him to get me off. Right? Because of what what he does here. He's sitting there teaching. Just picture it. He's sitting there on the ground. Group of people all around him, probably seated on the ground, right? He's in the middle, and he's preaching to them. He's teaching them. In burst these Pharisees and throw this woman in the center. What do you think the woman looks like? She may be completely naked. She may be half naked. They caught her in the act and they throw her here in front of Jesus. They want to force him to make a decision and they want it to be crystal clear to everybody what this is about. So, they test him with the law. Jesus, what do you say that we should do? Because we're commanded to stone such women. How do they do this? I mean... It says that the scribes and Pharisees, they've been upset with him because all the thing he's done. They've been scheming this, right? I mean, they went and schemed about how they would do this. Who oh, I know, I know Some She is always around with the guys in town. We can catch her and we can use that person. The evil of their intent. But when they throw him in the center there, Uh, Jesus just stoops down and begins to write on the ground. I think he's giving them time. But they persisted because they were stubborn in asking him, what do you say then? What should be done according to the law? And he stood up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. You know, there were a couple things in the law. One is that Whoever the witnesses were against the person, they were to be the first ones to throw a stone. Why is that? Well, because if you were going to be a true witness, you had to be willing to throw a stone to kill a person if you were going to testify against them. And the other thing was, you weren't supposed to be guilty of the same offense if you were going to pick up a stone and throw it at somebody. So Jesus asked them that question starting with the older ones down to the younger ones, they leave. They really want to catch Jesus. But they can, in good conscience, be the first one to throw the stone. Let me ask by a raise of hands here. How many men here? How many men here, they throw a woman there, she's naked, half naked, or whatever. How many of you can raise your hands and say, no, I've never committed adultery by thought, word, or deed? Yeah, that's what I thought. Neither could they. So it seemed like she was off. Jesus is a great defense attorney. That wasn't the purpose of all this. The purpose was so much greater. Jesus planned all this, not them. Jesus was using this. That woman probably never would have encountered Jesus if he hadn't planned this for her. So yes, she's been humiliated. She's been degraded. She's been caught in the act. But at the same time, she's been introduced to the Savior. And now, Jesus says, he's sitting down, he stands up. You always stand up to issue your verdict. Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go and leave your life of sin. You know, I've thought about this a lot. Jesus was answering their question. Now, Jesus is perfect. He can throw the stone. He is also God, and he has to uphold his law. But he says, I don't condemn you. The only way I can see that Jesus can say that to that woman is if she is one of the elect, that she is one of his. That's what God did to bring that person to himself. That's what Jesus did. He's done it for all of us. Maybe not in so dramatic a fashion. Be thankful if you weren't humiliated in that way. But that's what he does. My point being, God is at work. In all of these ways, and we can, if we just look to see the wonder of the journey, we can see how God is at work in these ways and how God is working to save his people. And and the final thing, of course, this doesn't need a whole lot of commentary, but from chapter 15 here is that in all of these occasions, Jesus calls, he says that, These people rejoice exceedingly. I mean, if you lose your cell phone, right, you tell your spouse, you tell your family, I can't find it, whatever, somebody call my cell phone, right? And you finally find it wherever it is. Oh, it dropped down in the door, you know, handle of my car or something, right? And you finally find it, and you go and you tell everybody, yeah, I found my cell phone, great, like my life is back together again, And so we rejoice over these things, and that's okay. But what Jesus is saying is, how about the lost one who comes to salvation? All heaven rejoices at them, and so should we. We should rejoice. You know, there's the personal element. Wow, I got my cell phone or my sheep or my lost coin back. And then there's the corporate element. You tell others. You're just rejoicing, right? Wow, like this happened. Like, wow, I'm going to graduate from high school. Or wow, I got this new job. Whatever it is, right? And you, rejo- you want others to rejoice with you. In the church here, we tell the church, our immediate family, right? That we rejoice in something that happens. And then finally, there's an eternal element when it comes to salvation. Because God has brought salvation uh, to one of his people. You Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine says, and this is like fits in with our sermon from a couple of weeks ago with, with Easter and uh, Palm Sunday. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He rode in on a donkey, the king, who was bringing not a, the most powerful kingdom on earth to take over all the other kingdoms at that time in a physical sense, but the one bringing salvation to his people to overcome all the other kingdoms in an eternal sense. The stone cut out of the mountain that was growing to become a huge mountain that was indestructible. That was leading to many people coming to Christ and being his bride, his people, those there with him at his fellowship, uh, sorry, at his supper with him. So the application, what is there for us to do? Well, here's what I want you to take from it. I ask you to consider, I hope you've, you've found other things too, as we've been working through this, but pursue people, not things. You know what? If you lose something, find it. That's a thing but pursue people. Don't pursue money. Don't pursue fame. Don't pursue a huge house or whatever else you, that you think might be great. Pursue people and God will make it worth your while. That is what he wants. <clears throat> Pursuing just one person makes a world of difference, be it a wayward person, a sinner, or a self-righteous one, a Pharisee, okay? <clears> okay. <throat> If God just leads you to pursue one person, look to Christ to direct our efforts since he is the original pursuer. You know, Pray and ask him to guide you by his spirit to the person or persons whose lives that, whom, that he is at work, in which he is at work. They're around you. They will lead you. God led Lisa and I this past year to this one girl. We interacted with a lot of people. God just told us, focus on this one girl. So we did. It's going to be a long haul. I don't know how many years. Maybe she'll go back to Russia. Maybe we'll be ministering across continents. I don't know. <clears throat> but find that person that God is calling you. Or persons. Maybe you're really skilled. And you can be working with 10 and secondly as part of that do not look with the eye of the flesh don't look for the person that's well off don't look for the handsome person whatever else okay you look with the eye of God the eye of faith the trust in the supernatural and God will lead you because it's not the well educated and the rich and the famous that he typically calls himself although he does do some but it's the brokenhearted and the humble and the fishermen and the others that he is pleased. The weak things of this world that he is pleased to make strong. So search with his eye, not with your own. Expend our energies in the right ways. You know, do not do just minimal misguided efforts. You know, I love the Babylon Bee. They have all kinds of things that are you know, really hilarious that I see, but they just recently had a, uh, a thing on how to share the gospel with minimal effort. I'll just share a few of the things they had there. You know, oh, you can put t-shirts with inspirational Bible verses on neighborhood stray cats. They wander around the neighborhood all day. Anyway, why not use them to spread the good news? All right. How about tip the pizza guy with one of those tracks that looks like money? You know, He'll be really glad and he won't in any way be disappointed by not getting actual cash. You know, post a photo of yourself on Instagram with your open Bible and a cup of coffee. It doesn't really even matter if you read it, just so the lighting in the picture look great. Put a Jesus fish on the back of your car. Make sure you drive really fast and cut in front of people on the freeway so lots of people see it. Or, finally, get a job at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Spreading the gospel one delicious chicken sandwich at a time. All right? I mean, do not try to figure out how to share the gospel with minimal effort, right? Like this. I mean, it's going to take, I'm telling you, it's going to take a lot of hard effort. That dad was sitting there mourning his son for we don't know how long. He was in a context where he couldn't do anything except Pray. Maybe try to get word, but apparently he wasn't even getting word even though he was trying. Sometimes you'll be in that situation. All you can do is pray. Sometimes you'll be there interacting with a person on a regular basis. But put effort into it, And here's the key. Focus your efforts. Using the resources God has given you to come alongside them. All right? Your prayer the word as you understand it and as you can convey it to them. Friendly counsel. Or if you have a deeper relationship with them, sometimes admonition. You shouldn't be doing that. Here's what you should be doing because God is opposed to that. God does not want you to be doing that. But do it all in love, in unconditional love. And do not forget the practical help and the demonstrations of your love. Sometimes just the little things can mean so much to somebody. It requires effort from you. Yes, you have to go to the store, find that card, or pick out that pair of shoes because they don't have a good pair of shoes, whatever it is, and then make time to go and take it to them and interact. But it will be more than worth your while, and it will bless them. So expend your energies in the right ways. And then finally, rejoice exceedingly when one who is lost is found by God when the one dead in sin is made alive in Christ, because that's what it's really all about. That's what it's really all about. We have lots of people around us right now, people you may work with, and maybe your friends, maybe your family. Start thinking about them. Where is God at work, and how can you minister? And then start praying about, we have about, I don't know, 3,000, 4,000, 8,000, however many come this year, from nations all around the world, coming here, <clears throat> to work. You know what? If there's 4,000 here, 3,700 of them, you're never going to see. You're just never going to see them. But if you go out to some of the events that Nations for Christ has, some of the ones that we do ourselves here in this church, if you just go around, if you eat out and pigeon-forge a gap and burn things, you're going to run across some of them. One, two, five, twenty-nine. I don't know how many you're going to run across. You yourself, But you're going to have occasions, and you may have occasions to develop deeper relationships in a minister. Regardless, look for God at work in places, and then come alongside and say, God, how are you going to use me to do this? Because, God, there are many prodigals out there that you want to draw back to yourself. Please use me to do that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, when we look at your word, it's just astounding. It, it, it is no, it's no coincidence. It's no just hap, you know, happening that Christianity has spread as it has over the last 2,000 years. It's because of the power behind it. That it is the kingdom of God breaking forth in this world. That you came and you inaugurated it. As you called people here and there in all kinds of situations from the quote unquote worst sinners and transformed their lives to be saved and to come after you, to be your people. And we know, Lord, that your spirit is still at work in your direction. It's directed by you and the Father. He's still at work this day in people all around us. We pray for those who are our sons and daughters and relatives that don't know you and that we yearn for them and we desire for them to come to know you and to place you foremost in their lives. We just pray, Lord, as that father in this parable, that we would not give up, but that we would watch and pray and that every occasion you give us that we might use that to minister. Lord, we pray for our friends and for our coworkers and those right around us. Lord, open up avenues of opportunity. Show us where you are at work, where your spirit is working and guide us by your spirit to come alongside and to minister. Father, further abroad, whether it's through the missionaries we support or through the outreach we do directly with internationals, Lord, help us to minister in your name the gospel to many who would never even hear if it weren't for for us sharing that with them. And so we just pray, Lord, that you will raise us up and use us Lord, we don't have to be incredibly talented to do this. We just have to have a love for people, a love for your people, even the ones that don't even appear in church yet. And we have to have a desire to see your kingdom come. So Lord, give us that. Grant us that, that we might honor you and that you might be glorified and praised and that there might be just incredible rejoicing in the kingdom of God as each soul comes to you. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen.